Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Out in the cold, out in the dark, something's lurking at the edge of the park. People be warned, people beware, there's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair. Hear him cry, hear him howl, looking for someone to disembowel. Claws like a hook, eyes like coal, feet so big they're gonna crush your soul. They call him Sasquatch. This is Yowie Central. Welcome to the show. You're on 94.9 Main FM and you're with Sarah Bignall. This is the community radio show where we bring you the latest on Yowie research in Australia. And we delve into the vast and endlessly fascinating realm of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, cryptozoology from here and around the world. And we go into all sorts of weird stuff, paranormal encounters, UFO sightings, you name it. And don't forget, this is a community radio show, which means you are all part of this Yowie Central community and the Main FM community. You're all welcome to contact me if you've had a Yowie encounter or you've had freaky experiences in the bush with orbs or Min Min lights or UFOs or anything else kooky and spooky. Get in touch with me via yowiecentral at gmail.com or via the Yowie Central Facebook group if you have a story to share. This week I'm chatting to another of the legends who research with Australian Yowie Research, Buck Buckingham. Buck is the CGI artist responsible for the amazing graphics on the Australian Yowie Research YouTube channel's Witness Audio Reports, and not to mention being a vital and very much loved part of the research team. Here he is. Check it out. Buck Buckingham, welcome to Yowie Central. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Glad to be here where all things Yowie come to fruition. <laughs> That's so good to talk to you. You are a long-term member of Australian Yowie Research, a very talented artist and the CGI graphics whiz behind our YouTube videos. 
thanks. Uh, I've been a long-time member and uh, active researcher. It's It's been a long journey to get here, and uh, as I've gotten older, I've become more and more active, largely due to the fact that Dean is so active and uh, needs some reliable people around him, like Gary the Finderer and <laughs> um, a lot of the people that you've had on your, your show. So, yes, here, here we are. And your good self, because you've taken a massive burden off him in terms of all of the fantastic interviews that you've had to do just so we can keep on top of the uh, reports that are coming in that come in every week you know quite a number a day and they they need to be got back to and catalogued and uh, indexed and then if it warrants uh, an interview like with yourself or tony or paul or dean there's so much to do so yeah. thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. No, no, it's all about you today. <laughs> um, yeah, look, it is actually the, the workload, the amount of reports that we get in is OTT, really. It's, it's, uh, it's quite surprising. People, the, the general public would be surprised how many reports we actually get in. Yeah, they'd be yeah. very surprised. You've been working with Dean since about 2005 or something like that, quite a long time. That's right. 2005, I'd kind of awoken to what had happened to me when I was uh, 15, 16 by uh, landing on Dean's website. And let's be honest, the internet was still pretty new. It was, you know, five years or so, even earlier. And he'd already had a website up and running with all these amazing encounters. And a, a penny dropped. So I jumped on the forum And uh, I watched, you know, some of the interesting topics that were uploaded and I read a lot. And then I decided I would start to go out and visit some of these places because when I found out about it, I was in Sydney. I joined in on a couple of conversations and Dean was very encouraging. And then he put out on the forum one day, uh, is anyone willing to go to Tablelands Road, which is uh, up in the Blue Mountains? And I'd already done that like three weeks ago. I'd gone there by myself and I've gone yeah, I'll go. So Dean, as Dean is wont to do, drove up from Melbourne nonstop, picked me up from a railway, and we had a great, great time for the next three days. So was that looking at the Fatfoot area, or were you there throughout that time when Dean was researching the Yowie nicknamed Fatfoot? Yeah, that was at Hazelbrook, but we went to Tablelands Road, but we did that the same weekend. So he wanted to get onto Tablelands Road where there was a, uh, I think Justin Garlic had had an encounter where he had had an emotional breakup with his girlfriend, had driven down this lonely road, and the road is just out of a horror movie. You absolutely uh, hemmed in by these uh, towering Sinvalian pines, and they're just so cloying and claustrophobic and then you drive past a disused mental asylum that's the road you're on (laughs) so you're out there alone and it goes from tar to just dirt road unsealed road it's quite rutted we're out there just looking at the area where this encounter had and that was the one that had piqued my interest as my first departure i'll go on my first yaoi adventure by myself now i know what happened to me when i was younger so we met i met up with dean and then he introduced me to Mike Williams uh, down at Hazelbrook. So we spent a couple of nights at Hazelbrook and found some interesting uh, stuff down there. Uh, and Hazelbrook is the area where he was researching Fatfoot. So I got to meet 
some of the locals up there. I got to meet Mike Williams, good time with Neil Frost. I got a, a cast of Mike Williams at Fat Foot. <laughs> and got to have my uh, mind exploded by Dean. Because on the first night, now this is this is me meeting Dean. We've never met each other, so my wife's going, "What are you doing? Who are you meeting? <laughs> you are meeting what? a stranger <laughs> and going looking for hairy men in the bush. What's going on?" <laughs> so we're going up there, and Dean plays uh, Ron Warhead's "The Sierra Sounds" over and over and over. So I'm just—I've never heard it before, and it's terrifying. We're up there. We're now out in the middle of Tablelands Road. We're heading off down this sidetrack to see if we can get any action. And as we uh, head off down the road, uh, we've got about a K and a half uh, away from the car and Dean's batteries start to fail. He says, my battery's going. They're dying. I've got to go back and get some. Uh, Do you want to come? And I said, no, I'll stay here. That's fine. So I stayed there and Dean rushed off and I could see this pale torch, you know, drifting off into the bush. And so I was out there with the Sierra sounds rattling in my head and eventually he came back. That night when I went to sleep, we were just sleeping in his car. I'm a terrible snorer and Dean was spent. He'd just driven 12 hours to get there and here I am you know, like a buzzsaw. He said, oh, <laughs> would you mind just sleeping outside the car? And I had no tent. I said, sure. So <laughs> I got my sleeping bag. I can tell you, I did not sleep because all I could hear was Sierra sounds. Uh, Dean had a, a restful night, but I was waking up every five minutes thinking, I'm going to have something staring at me right in the face. <laughs> so that was the first night. How scary. <laughs> it was scary. Hey, listen, what happened when you were 15, 16? I'd got my first crush on this girl and I thought, oh, I'm really skinny. I need to um, build up muscles. I know what builds up muscles. Running doesn't. So I just started <laughs> a night run and I would go for these long night runs in uh, Strathpine uh, near Lake Samsonvale or, as other people know, North Pine Dam. So I'd go on these runs, I'd head off around about 9 o'clock and be back around about 10, and I'd go cross-country. So I'd uh, do bitumen for perhaps 40% of the way and maybe cross-country 60% of the way through bush and creeks. And I wasn't scared of the dark. I'm still not scared of the dark. I'm way more curious now. But I had been doing this for several months. I wasn't being noticed at all. (laughs) Until this particular (laughs) night, uh, when I was running past Forgan Cove at the North Pine Dam, so it's just off Samsonvale Road, I heard this uh, footfall behind me uh, to this levee. There's a dam wall and the levee goes down off into the bush. And I think I've sent you a couple of photos. And it was much denser then. It wasn't maintained. So it was this thick undergrowth and I, I thought I could hear footsteps like a pad pad and then I reasoned with myself I was just hearing a delay of an echo over the damn wall or something I ran again and then I stopped and it was too much of a delay for it to actually be an echo so I thought oh, I know what I'll do is I'll run And then I'll stop. So I ran and I stopped and I heard, and 
and I knew that I wasn't alone. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't smell anything. I didn't hear anything. But the next thing that happened was terrifying was that the dogs up at the top of the hill at this old farmhouse just went berserk. And I ran. I set my own personal best that night. And I ran up that hill and past that farmhouse. And I still had another three or four k's to go, but through bush. And I didn't look back. I never went out again. After that, I decided oh, I'm done with that. And I didn't tell anyone because, you know, you young man, you don't want to be thought of as a chicken. That was something you could be really called and it would hurt you back in yes. the 70s. You're a chicken. Yes. What? I'm I remember not a that. Chicken. <laughs> Call me a chicken. Anyway, so I'd um, decided to, I just wouldn't do that anymore. It, it just played with my mind. I didn't know what happened, but I certainly didn't feel good. Around about 18 months later, I uh, got in the car with my best friend. He had got his license and he was doing his best to kill us because he's got his license now. So I was in a car with five people and we were further up the road near a place called Bullocky's Rest and that's closer to the dam wall. He had use of the car on this condition that he had to have it back by 10, not five past 10 or one past 10. He had uh, strict parents. It was 10 o'clock or earlier or you're grounded. So I went up. Uh, we've got to go back now. So he did a U-turn. And as he did a U-turn to head back towards Young's Crossing, the lights swung over the dam. Now you can see the water on the dam. You can see the sky. It's still dark. And the lights hit this big uh, mass that I saw because I was on the side closest to the dam as we turned. And it looked just like a big termite mound and I couldn't really see much of a colour. I said, what's that? And Christian just stopped the car and said, what's what? And I said, oh, my God, some, some things uh, stood up, like the ant mound stood up, and it was towering, and it went behind the Datsun. Now, we were in a little Datsun one, uh, 180B or something, and they've got a small window at the back. And as whatever went behind the car, uh, happened suddenly the car was just filled with this rank putrid smell and everyone smelt it now in the back with two girls and they both know uh, something there they can see it they've smelt it and we're saying drive 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 and christian and marcel are in the front going what 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 who, who dropped their guts and we're going drive and by now something's happened to stella she's screaming She's buried her face in her hands and is trembling like a leaf, like she's just in a fetal position in the back seat, and she's just yelling, the eyes, the eyes. That's it. The You know, Christian has to get the car home anyway, so off he drives at speed. All the way back, we were saying, what did you see? What was it? And um, we were just traumatising Stella even more until eventually her sister said, shut up, just leave her alone. So we did. And I didn't know what had happened. I thought, oh, maybe it was a ghost or, you know, we'd seen Poltergeist, we'd seen a few horror movies, and I thought, oh, maybe this is a haunting. I don't know. But everyone in the car knew something happened and five people smelt this terrible smell and three people witnessed something that they couldn't explain. So... That area around the dam turned out to have its own history of high strangeness. 
And my story wasn't the only story that happened there. When I started to delve back into what was going on, I remembered prior to my running incident, I'd gone up with a friend who had had horses adjusted up near the North Pine Dam, but further up the road, uh, near Clear Mountain Road. We went there to feed the horses, and his father, who was a policeman and a tracker and uh, part Indigenous, said, don't go down that road. There's a hairy man down there. He'll get you. Now, the road went down to the dam. And I said, what? And he said, there's a hairy man down there. Leave him alone. Don't go down there. He'll get you. And I thought, oh, he's just giving us a cautionary tale because he thinks we'll fall in and drown. And I went, what do you mean? He says, like a big, big ape, a big gorilla. And I said, oh, you mean like a Bigfoot? Because I'd seen Leonard Nimoy's In Search Of. And he said, yeah, like like a Bigfoot. And I said, oh, they're only in America. He said, don't go down there. And we didn't. And he said, there's a Yowie. And that's the first time I ever heard the word Yowie. But I didn't add this up until much later, until these references of, you know, these incidents just kept happening Two to me and then several to other people that I knew. One was to my best friend who was driving the car. We'd left school. We're young men now in our very early 20s and he's broken up with a girl and he's feeling very sorry for himself. So he goes to Borgen Cove by himself and he's got a, a tin whistle or a recorder and he's just playing some tunes over the water and I think he's actually playing the theme from Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kwai Chang Kane's theme. <laughs> so it's very mournful and it's just adding to his misery, which is what you do if yeah. you've broken up with someone. And then he said, because he rang me, he said, Buck, you, you won't believe what happened to me on the weekend. I said, what? And he said, I was doing this. And then all of a sudden, about 100 metres to my right, this tree started shaking and something started roaring. And the hackles on my neck stood up and I grabbed my dog and I threw her in the back of the car and I, I bolted. I've never been so terrified in my life. Now, he was studying a Bachelor of Science and he's a, a rational person. And I had never told him that in that exact same area, something had freaked me out. And I went, this is my time to tell you what happened to me. So I said, well, we've got to go back there. So the very next weekend, we went out to the North Pine Dam. We brought inflatable dinghy, a two-man dinghy. We regrettably lost or forgot to bring paddles. So we're now out <laughs> in this cove and we've paddled out with a shovel, which could just tear this flimsy dinghy in half. And we're out in the middle and we're recreating the thing uh, like he's playing uh, the recorder. At one stage, we were terrified because we felt these big fingers scraping underneath raft, underneath the dinghy, and it turned out to be just giant trees that uh, we were drifting <laughs> over, but it certainly just about had us in the water. Anyway, he says that he heard something off in the distance roaring again, and I didn't. And we went and looked at the tree earlier on when it was light, and it was an ironbark tree, and about five or six inches, so it's solid. Uh, but the ground was braked hard, so there wasn't any footprints or anything that I could see what was happening. I didn't even know what I was looking for. This is about another 18 months after the car incident. I was thinking, you remember the car incident? He's going, yeah, yeah. 
Nothing else happened that evening. And me and my best friend just packed up the raft and uh, off we went. And a week later, I was at his mother's place and I was doing the dishes with his brother's girlfriend, who then became his wife. And she said, can I ask you something, Buck? And I said, sure. And she said, what do you make of this? And she told me this incredibly peculiar story, which I now know is it's Yowie. I can only explain it as that. Other people have different opinions. But this is what happened. She said that that weekend uh, she'd been at home at a place in Petrie with her family and her brothers and cousins had gone for a camp uh, near Lake Kawangba, which is only about three or four k's from Lake Samsonville. And while they were there, her brother decided he'd go and answer the call of nature. So he just left the ring of fire. So he'd walked out of the firelight and off into the bush and he's just uh, urinating in the bush and he looks up and he just sees this pair of giant red eyes staring at him and this giant hairy form and he virtually walks backwards through the fire and this creature steps out and everybody sees it and they are terrified and they just run they scarper they look behind them as they are running and they can see giant hairy legs pacing around the fire and they tip up at Jennifer's home and they're in a state. These are young men, 15 to 19, and they're hysterical. Some are bordering tears. Others are just shaking. The men folk, like uh, uncles and fathers, say, look, we'll go sort this out. We'll go uh, sort this fellow out. So they head out that very moment, you know, with machetes and clubs and whatever they think they're going to do, they head out to the campsite. And they get out to the campsite, and the campsite's been flattened. It's just trampled. And there are giant footsteps everywhere around the campfire, which is now dying. It's just coals. And so now they're, they're baffled. They're going, oh, what is this? And one of them suggests that they will come back the next day and take plaster casts, you know, because this is amazing. So they come back the very next day and the whole place has been cleaned. It's just been swept up and the tent is tidied, the fire's out. And they believe that perhaps one of their group, they don't know whom, came back and went, I don't want any part of this. I'm just going to clean it up. No casts, no footprints, no nothing. That was the story that was given to me. And I went, wow, I know, absolutely wow. So this is a week after us going around the dam in a dinghy, a week after Christian had had his encounter by Fulton Cove. I can't forget that. And I'm going, that is incredible. You know, I'd gone running. I'd heard a cautionary tale, don't go down that road. Um, The hairy man will get you. The car incident where we turned around and something stunk the car out and three of us saw something and one was just absolutely trembling like a leaf and then this satellite story of people that we knew having this encounter and then Christian playing his tin whistle by the dam so there are these five instances of something happening and I had no answer no clue at all until I stumbled onto Dean's site and then everything just clicked into place I went ah 
that's probably what it was. So I was hooked. I was just absolutely hooked then. You're listening to Buck Buckingham from Australian Yowie Research on Yowie Central. And you're on 94.9 Main FM. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. You've actually been out to Kilkeven with Dean a few times, yes. haven't you? So for the Yowie Central listeners, Kilkeven is where Dean Harrison was charged at and pushed and hit by a very large creature by a Yowie. And you guys, you guys have actually been up there together. What was it like going there, knowing that right there, there had been a pretty huge, aggressive yowie? Well, I'm charged. Um, my mission is to be eaten by one or to have a rock <laughs> hit me on the head. Um, <laughs> just so I feel like I'm chosen and special. <laughs> you and are special, Buck. You're very, very special. <laughs> on the way up, this is what struck me. Uh, was on the way up. Dean is really suffering. It totally affected him. He was fearless in the bush up until then and felt untouchable until he was touched. And he still suffers it, PTSD from it. He, he absolutely does. He's still getting his Yowie brave back. But he's had aggressive encounters. Uh, I've had different ones. I asked him what happened at the arena. And on the way up, he's telling me the story. You can't fake this. He's driving along and the hairs on his arms stand up like freshly cut grass that just at attention as he's recalling the story. And you can't can't fake fake that. that. You cannot fake that. Dean left me on that rock that night with my brother. I've got two wonderful brothers who entertain me in this subject. (laughs) They just like to be where their brother is sometimes and so they'll tolerate what I'm doing. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> oh, look, they're exceptional men. We have an issue with a farmer up there who has decided that while it's state park land, he controls who goes in and who goes out and had caused a lot of grief for Dean and other researchers up there that Dean would drive in and it would look like there were three researchers, so Mark and I were crouching down and we would be left there at night. And then Dean and the other researchers would go to town because Dean still wasn't in the mood to spend a night out there. So I spent a night out on the rock where Dean was flattened in the arena with my youngest brother, Mark. And it was electrifying. It was a full moon. So you can imagine the shapes and things you might see as the moon just traverses over the skyline. It really was thrilling for me and we had this plan i said mark okay uh, i've got a camera i've got a torch but this is pre-phone cameras and i said look the camera takes a second to start up so if something happens and we hear something running at us it's camera then torch rather than miss the opportunity and about 3 a.m we hear this thumping this uh, it sounded like 300 kilos 
behind us, just running at us. And to our credit, we managed to get the camera on and the torch on and we spin around and it's this just giant water rat <laughs> in the bush in that heightened uh, sense of environment. It felt like it was a massive beast. And the poor <laughs> rat just looked at us like, what? The sun's up now? And just dove into the water and disappeared. <laughs> so Dean collected us the next day. And my brother, who was quite sceptical, was still sceptical until he found a walking track. And I have a, a photo of him down the gully and his face is just twisted with a hundred questions because where we go, it's not a beauty spot. It's not a place you go to have a picnic. It's a walking track. It's not a game trail. It's a walking track. And he found it. We didn't find it. He found it. And so he said, that's put me on the fence. Like, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, he's been up with in the Blue Mountains with me. Both my brothers have. And we've gone down uh, Windbourne Track down to the dam. But he hadn't had that experience. And so he's going, I don't know what to think. This is unusual. No one would come out here for a ramble. It's just not on anybody's to-do list. It's not a a destination point, you know, it's not like I'm going to the Bungle Bungles, I'm going to Uluru, I'm going to Kilkeven uh, State Forest and make my own walking track. We've been out there several times. Dean's had sightings and uh, his frightful encounter there. Plenty of other places as well, but Kilkeven's special because it's just kind of, it feels ancient, but it isn't because of all the logging that's happened there. But you do feel different when you go to that place. You know you're alone. There are cattle. It's not like when you go to a, a national park and you'll come across people doing the same thing that you're doing, enjoying nature. There's just loggers, the people that live there and drive through, and you, and you're alone. That would be quite unnerving, I would imagine. I'm one for being unnerved. Uh, I love it. <laughs> that explains a lot <laughs> Okay, then, <Mark>. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit to 2020, you guys were concentrating on uh, Springbrook, you went to Bellbird Grove a few times. What are the highlights of those expeditions? This is a highlight. It actually just shows you the the calibre of people that we mix with. Um, It's hard country out there. It's not an easy walk. We're there because we want to be, because you really don't find evidence from behind the keyboard. You can only review it. But you don't find it, so you have to get out there. And Dean's forever putting his hard-won time and money into organising groups of people to do research, but, you know, groups of people that are sensible. So I'd lost this brand-new radio and I'd only met Gary twice, and I thought, that's it. I have no idea where I lost this radio. And it was on a, a section of this creek where we'd had some high strangeness the previous trip where uh, scat was found, we found some footprints. And on this particular trip, six of us had met up because we uh, had two teams. One team was coming from downstream and one team went further upstream. And where we met, we were in this beautiful little sheltered part of this creek. We heard some walking and then this kind of mumbling. We called him the mumbler. The mumbling sounded so human. And as I'm walking over there, my radio goes, 
that horrible static, like, oh, I've blown it, you know, <laughs> absolutely blown it. Turn my radio off and go further up the creek. We keep going. You press forward till we get this massive waterfall. And there's no way uh, about this uh, waterfall. You've got to pick a side. So we picked the side with the road because it was about time to leave. So we're heading back through this dense undergrowth. And as I got to the top and got to the car, I went, oh, God. No. My radio's gone. And it was gone. a brand new one too, wasn't it? I've got no idea oh. where it is. Brand new, brand new, absolutely brand new radio. And I went, oh, it's like an hour and a half back down to the stretch where I may have lost it. And I've gone, we are now leaving. I've gone, oh, it's gone. There were offers to go back and look for it, but I wasn't going to do that to anyone. So Gary went back because he's just uh, such a decent bloke to see if he could find it. And where he found it, he found it at chest height. It was placed in a way that would be very hard for it to accidentally happen. You know, I can't rule out that the bush is a thief, but it was very peculiar. I also had it switched off and he found it on. He'd gone down there and he'd got a little bit concerned. He was feeling a bit exposed. Then he heard another odd sound. He pressed on and about 50 metres on. Lucky for me, he found the radio and it was like, oh, my gosh, uh, that is a hairy grail. Yeah, so I've now named my radio Gary. Uh, it just confuses everyone when I answer. That's funny. Uh, it, as is the custom, <laughs> Gary speaking. Dean mentioned to me that you did that fantastic sketch of the Witheran Yowie that the truck driver saw. You sat, Did you sit down with him and draw that, the witness? Yeah. And that was on the front page article on the Gold Coast Bulletin and uh, went around the world, didn't it? Yeah, so tell me what that process was like. Dean didn't know I had this other skill set of art and I'd got, uh, I was doing some other work for another researcher which was just teasing these details out of photo, which was a blurry photo naturally, but it was perhaps the best blurry photo I've seen. All the pieces were there for me to do this artwork and subsequently I made a silicon bust 3D figure of it and punched the hair in and gave a representation of the sketch that I did. So I just wanted to see where that would take to me and then Dean went, oh, you draw. I could <laughs> use you and I went, you need to use me. So he asked me along to this area at Witheran where he's going to meet the truckie by the side of the road. And the truckie was uh, smoking 10 to the dozen when he got him and his hands were still shaking and we talked and he could tell that this man was very, very rattled. We went back to the original site and he was nervous and pacing and he showed us where it was. I brought with me a sketch pad and my pencils and when we went back to Dean's house, we uh, sat down and he gave me all these details and I was able to sit and draw with him. And that's a very slow process because it's, you know, pencil and it's labour intensive with a witness there and she'd go back. But it was good. He said, I think, in the end, the hair could be a bit longer, but it was pretty spot on to what he saw. And that kicked off 
me doing illustrations and some CGI and uh, some graphics for the audio files that uh, Dean does. So the interviews oh, that you do, in fact. absolutely wonderful. Um, Evocative drawings, like they. they oh, uh, thank you. I don't know whether you call them drawings. If it's CGI, what do you call them? Sketches, artwork. Well, it's it's hard to say because I'm still doing the same process. Uh, like I've got a digital pen and I'm manipulating it like I would a pencil, but I get to choose effects, you know, like colours very quickly. And because I do it on my iPad, it's very portable. And in my time poor world, when I have a break, I draw and I have to draw most days. I love drawing. So this is a good outlet. Also, Dean provides <laughs> me with deadlines, which is always good because yes. you yes. get more done with a deadline. And so I will draw on a break. Dean will have sent me the latest audio file that he wants done. And I will just draw on the break and send it through. If I had to do it all by pencil, it would take forever. Uh, but I prefer drawing in ink and pencil. It adds to the listener's experience and in some cases it validates the witness who sees the end product of the artwork and goes, yeah, that's pretty much what I saw. It really helps a listener listening to that story really put themselves in that situation. It, watching those videos after me doing an interview with someone and then Thing, what you and Dean create with that story, it changes it completely. It makes it more engaging and interesting and I can imagine yeah. I was there. That's what happens for me as I'm listening to the story. I do imagine I'm there because I've had those experiences when I was younger. Not the one I want. <laughs> I want to see face-to-face something <laughs> yelling at me, watching me like Dean and I want to be in that those one percenters. Brett, you know, some stories yep. that Brett has told, and I just want more out of it. I used to think, oh, I'll be able to get the photo, I'll be able to get the evidence. Oh, no, no, I can't do that. It's so hard to photograph anything in the bush. And I'm ready. We're ready. We have FLIR cameras. We have GoPros. We have multiple phones. But the intersect, when it's going to happen, it's so fine. You've got to be on the same path as the creature on that day. And if you're lucky enough, you might find something, if you're lucky enough. And if you're even lucky enough, then you might catch a, a glimpse of it. I haven't seen a glimpse of it since I was um, 15, 16. I've seen signs and I've certainly had some encounters. I've gone, oh, my gosh, that's close. Dean puts together these great edited versions and then he's uh, done uh, a lot of the graphics and the maps and the extra add-ons that just fill the encounter with more information like all the sightings that are around that area and references to dates and times and having you along uh, as another voice to listen to pushes the research along, you know, and hopefully, you know, one day soon we will get uh, more proof. I don't know what the proof will be because it's never irrefutable. People will say, oh, Buck does CGI graphics. He just drew that. People who know me will, if I ever get yeah. that photo, will know he hasn't done that. I'm not interested in proving it to other people anymore. I'm interested in experiencing it. And honestly, when you go out with uh, Dean, Gary and Jacob and all these other fabulous people, you're kind of bonded by a common cause 
and nature. I love nature, and you love bushwalking. And I was brought up in Africa, so oh, I was you? born in Zambia. So I love the oh. bush and the Australian bush. I was born in Livingston near the Victoria Falls. Yeah. The bush for me is Absolutely. just very special. Actually, Dean Dean mentioned because I contacted him, mm. like I did with Gary. I contacted him to to ask for a, a few little tips on things that I might ask you. He said some lovely things about you, just as he did to, with Gary too. He said that you. There are many fantastic qualities you have, but when you're out on expedition, apart from the fact you're very funny, maybe coming from your theatrical background, but you're very positive, you're a great friend, you're a great supporter. He did say you're very classy and that you rarely swear, <laughs> which which makes me laugh because Dean has this thing about, he doesn't like swearing. <laughs> He doesn't. I can tell you I have sworn a couple of times and his eyebrows have gone straight to the top of his scalp going, and he's like a sudden bell. I keep, like, that's right. Yeah. I keep Fuck, telling what him language? I actually do a swear a little bit more on purpose <laughs> just to annoy yeah. him. But I keep t- trying to explain to him that swear words yeah. are a valid uh, and an important part of the language. It, it just shows... You know, you need to use all of the vocabulary that we have. Yes, for the love of Dean. Yeah, for, the you know, love, that's in, that's right. for the love of Dean. For the love you of know. Dean. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He, he's also said that you have a very scientific approach to the things that you find out there. You, you, you kind of eliminate what something might be before you say what it could be. I do. I've had some moments where I really thought, I've got this. I finally got a photo, I've got something I want to share with people, but I need to go back and check, A, if it's still there, and if it's still there, it's either a stump, a log, or some type of paradoilia, or whittle away anything it could be, because you will get, oh, it's a kangaroo, you'll get, oh, that's just a koala bear, uh, and now we have bigger creatures to deal with, like we have feral deer, which can sound uh, monstrous running through the bush. So I will go away and some of my best hopes have just been dashed when I've gone nut buck. Uh, that's a spider web with a tiny little leaf that has gone past this tree and in the background when you videoed it, the little leaf has made it look like there's a creature blinking there and uh, it was crushing. And then I've gone back another time, I've snapped off a couple of wild photos when I was with Neil Frost and Mike Williams. And I looked in the background and it looked like there was this person in the tree. I went, oh, my gosh. So the very next weekend I went up there by myself to a, go back to the tree to take a comparison photo because you need to do a comparison photo to go, this was there, this wasn't. It turned out it was just a combination of rain on a eucalypt and a burnt stump but it was perfectly positioned to look like a head and shoulders and legs resting in the bough of a tree looking at researchers 300 meters away so it would fit the bill if if i went there and suddenly there was nothing in that position i could actively say we were being observed by something that was 15 meters up in a tree now it's not there. It's not a kangaroo. So, yeah, I will go and look at things and try and figure out what's happening to the eye 
what's happening to the witness, usually me, because I, I want to be credible. I don't want to spread an untruth. I'm happy to get excited and happy to go, yeah, I think I've got something. But I'll also say later to people, oh, it turned out it was nothing. Back to the drawing board or back to the bush more likely. Yeah. Both Dean and Gary, because I, I checked in with Gary too, and he said that you, this I quote, you are a calm, loving presence. You have a peaceful attitude towards the research. You're very thoughtful. And as Dean said, you're very positive, very supportive of everybody. Is that your philosophy in life in general, being a, a, being a calm, loving presence? First of all, I'm blushing. <laughs> Good. And if Suck anybody walked in this room, they would go, oh, he's having a moment. <laughs> I like to be calm. Obviously, you know, no one's perfect. There are times where, you know, things are stressful. But I've got more places out of just remaining calm. I work in the arts industry, and the arts industry is feast and famine, 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 famine. Here's a sandwich, <laughs> more famine and a feast. So there's always stress. Uh, and I work with a lot of comedians who are some really close friends of mine. And we work in this hyper environment, whether it's a fantastic night, everybody's laughing or something's off or, you know, people are drunk or people are fighting. And I've worked as a theatre manager for many, many years. And so I see really, really volatile situations. There are good ones, but it's the volatile situations. They're the ones you have to deal with. And it's always helped me by being calm. To say some things back to Dean and Gary, uh, Dean, a lot of people don't realise how tirelessly he works. Like he will spend eight to ten hours editing something so that a few thousand people can enjoy and expand their knowledge on this subject for nothing. He spends all his time and his money doing this to further the research to help other people and he bought this uh, you, you remember the the eyes that we got at Elbow yeah. Park yeah. on the old flirt now he bought that old flirt 10 years ago and that was 10 grand plus 10 years ago he lent that camera out to us in the Blue Mountains because he knew that it would benefit us more than him because he was so busy so here he is letting me have this $10,000 worth of equipment to go out with other researchers to see if we can, you know, get more evidence. Incredibly generous, but also trusting. Uh, he's a very, very trusting and generous fellow. He's always picking people up, dropping them off and not swearing because he's, <laughs> he's a lady. And, and Gary is someone you feel very safe with. I feel safe with Dean. But Gary is just like this talisman. You walk in the bush with him and he, I, I, I think that I notice things until you're with Gary and he's pointing stuff out and going, oh, wow, I should have gone to Specsavers. <laughs> um, so, yeah, being out with those guys is a wonderful experience and I, I can't wait till we're all being attacked together. Um <laughs> And they read our eulogies. <laughs> well, it'll you be me. I'll be the one reading it'll the eulogy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. And you'll say, and Dean finally swore. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to go out again, hopefully, Friday, weather permitting. 99 times out of 100, you don't get stuff 
But we're, those odds are narrowing down because we're doing more focused work on areas. We're revisiting areas that have multiple sightings. We have very dedicated people and fit people. I like Gary, so fit. Oh, my gosh, he's a mountain goat. Mm-hmm. And caring uh, people. And we use things like flurs and drones and uh, eyes and hopefully we'll be able to get something more substantial to add to the pile of evidence that is out there supporting Yowie research. Because people say there's no evidence. I'm going, you are just ridiculous. There is no particular evidence that you as a person would validate unless it happened to you, unless you're one of these poor people that said, I was driving along and my car broke down. I got out and I saw this great hulking brute of a creature, then you would be in the same boat. There's so much eyewitness evidence, let alone physical evidence of footprints. Look, footprints don't just magically appear. Hair samples and scat samples that still, like, this is very expensive and it's very time-consuming and it's also kind of taboo. A lot of science research areas don't want to get involved with, hey, would you mind checking this foul-smelling scat and see if it's a hairy man? (laughs) So, But you've got to get in there and you've got to carry it out. And, yeah, I carried that out and my backpack, I wouldn't put my lunch in there again. (laughs) Didn't you? You even had it in like a couple of plastic bags and it was still stinky. Oh, yeah, (laughs) it was was sulfurous. it could be nothing, but if people weren't there to find it, it would be it would be washed away. So this is what people need to do is get out there, observe, collect. Even if you think it's nothing, pick it up, uh, look at it. And if you can discount it, discount it. But if it can't be discounted, study it even more. And hopefully it'll turn out to be what you you want it to be. You're listening to Buck Buckingham from Australian Yowie Research on Yowie Central and you're on 94.9 Main FM. This is something I found fascinating. Um, I was at a party in Sydney about 10 years ago and I was outed as someone that believed in Yowies and uh, they said, you won't believe what Buck believes in. Tell us, Buck, tell us, Buck. And there were A-listers there and... I said, oh, you know, I believe in uh, that there's a, a giant hairy hominid and he, he's in the bush and he can smell bad. And it was, bah, ha, ha, ha. I was held down. Mm. There were just uh, gales of laughter. And I'm okay with it. But the upside to that story was that on the Monday, I got a call from one of the people at the party and said, Buck, I had to call you because I don't know what to think. And I'm telling you this Everybody laughed at you, including me, and I went home and a mother had passed away recently. So the family were together around uh, a table at Wiseman's Ferry. We're sitting around talking about things and it became esoteric. And he said, my dad said, I've seen a couple of strange things in my life. I've seen a UFO on an oil rig and I saw a hairy man. And then my brother said, yeah, I saw him too. He said, my father is a man that does not lie. I have to believe it now. So it just shows you, even with families, um, 
people can see stuff, not say stuff. But um, he changed his tune. And to his credit, he's quite a spiritual person, but it altered his view. And even though he hasn't seen one, he believes it because his father is a man that doesn't lie. And you are brave enough to educate people on what is out there, despite the ridicule. Oh, man. <laughs> I don't know if brave enough because... Or maybe you drunk, you were you drunk enough? <laughs> maybe. I don't drink much. I only drink to please a few people. Like I got drunk when I was 19 and then I didn't have anything for like 25 years. I was at a party, so I'm stone cold sober getting the ridicule because they're drunk and now their guards are down. They're just going to openly laugh and, you know, walk around the room like a big ape man. It was hilarious. Looking back on it, it's hilarious. <laughs> I used to keep fat foots print cast on my desk in my manager's office in sydney and every now and then someone would say what's that and i'd tell them most times i walk away scratching the head but there were a couple of occasions people went oh yeah if you don't talk about it you won't foster an opportunity for other people to talk about it so i do talk about it but only if it's going to work, you know, don't walk up to strangers in the street. Do you believe in like yowies? You know, not like that. <laughs> not like people that, that scream at you in the bush. So Like like our mate up at Bellbird. Yeah, that, okay, yeah, that. Again, I had to hang around. I was waiting to get eaten. And I texted Gary and Dina said, we've heard a blood-curdling scream. We are standing by in position because we were researching an area where a witness had actually had a, an amazing, terrifying daylight encounter. So I thought, this is it. This is it. <laughs> and then I heard another scream, and then my voice said, hang on, that sounded a bit more human and deliberate. And it turned out to be another researcher with very different methods. Um, <laughs> That's a very, a very diplomatic yeah. way to put that. Yeah, but it shows you the people are out there. And the thing that is you have to remember is that people like that researcher could rather validly discover something, even though their methods are strange and maybe unorthodox in this kind of unorthodox thing that we're doing. So you have to listen to people, even if they're a bit odd. But you also have to draw upon your own conclusions and you don't have to be judgmental, but you can be discerning and you go, oh, okay, well, carry on and uh, we'll go this way, which is what we did. Your next expedition coming up over this weekend was, Dean said, Hamstring Hill. Is that the nickname for it? Yeah, where Dean did his hammy and Gary rather valiantly photographed him in all his agony because that's the first thing you do. And I would have done the same, Dean. <laughs> but... <laughs> But Dean actually really hurt himself. He really injured himself. He and, couldn't walk the uh, next day. I remember him texting. No, he couldn't oh walk the next day. And <laughs> so when we went down to Little Narang Dam to find a path on the way back in, he was just more logistics dropping us off. And as it was, I got heat stroke because in the very last part of the day, which was midday, I was trying to get drone footage of where we should go to get down to Little Narang Dam because we'd had some interesting stuff happen on a previous expedition there. The others were off in the shade and I was flying the drone around and I just overheated. So on the way back, I hadn't recovered. Gary was pushing me to get back up the hill and I was sick. 
Dean heard on the radio and he'd gone and got some Gatorade and hydrated us. But that was that's something to consider when you're out there is uh, snakes, but more importantly, hydration. You can tip, and I tipped very quickly, and I thought I was all over it, but I wasn't. So uh, I'm doing things a bit differently now when I go out because I go, oh, okay, I'm not 25 or 30 anymore, so I need to hydrate much more than I think. Thank God I've got Dean and Gary there to be back up. Well, Buck, was there anything else any, anything else you wanted to tell us? Any other stories you wanted to tell us before we finish up? I might sign off on this curious story. And this is perhaps one of the most exciting things for me. I'll always bang on about this day. And that was Dean had gathered a group of us to go to Hazelbrook and the Blue Mountains and the situation would be three researchers would go off down into this gully where we knew Fatfoot may occupy. Dean would stay at the top of this ridge, maybe 150 metres up. So it takes a while to get down to the gully. We got down to the gully. Mike went one way, I went another, and Aaron went a different way. And I got a radio call from Dean because he always supplies radios and makes sure that we're safe, that we're all kitted up. He has an EPIRB. He's looking after people as well as encouraging people. He said, Buck, are you with anyone? And I said, no. I think you've got company. Something is following you. I've seen something go behind this tree. So Dean got two photos. You cannot tell what it is, but you can tell that something's moved. It's man-shaped. It's pitch black. And it's between the boughs of trees where they would normally be observed. You know, they would use trees. I saw nothing. And Dean went to another vantage point. So he got a different photo. But at the time Dean moved, it had moved. So we now have these two photos where we've got circles around them, which is really only good for us. And he said, something was there with you, Buck. And that that camera was a five megapixel camera, which was nothing back in 2005. So we can't expand on that anymore. But what did happen was I was down there and I knew that I was perhaps being followed or stalked. I was taking photos or looking. I couldn't find anything. I found a set of footprints in the river, in the creek down there. Now it's winter. It's cold and on the floor of the mossy creek, like it wasn't flowing that quickly, there are these big disturbed patches where something has waded through the water. Now, that's exciting to me. I've got that. But when I get back up to the top, I see the other photos that the other two researchers have got. And one is this massive footprint on a, a fire trail and then this more striking footprint on this mossy rock and there's a big knife uh, left to the footprint on the mossy rock. Dean was the only person that caught something on a camera and he's the only person that saw something. So here were three researchers actively looking for these creatures in this gully and three sets of footprints were found and we saw nothing. It just shows you how much of a master they are in a bush. I'm sure I would have walked past them, you know, maybe even sat on one's knee and I wouldn't have even known. It <laughs> really blew my mind away that we had that amount of evidence and I saw nothing. 
and I was blown away that the other two got these great sets of prints. Now, that's all on one day, and that's the intersect that can only happen if you go to an area that's a known hotspot and you have to go out and do it because we've been out there before and not had a result like that, but that was exciting. So I'll finish on that. That was a really exciting day for me. Keep us posted on how it goes over the weekend. I'll let you know if Dean swears, if he does the, if he does the other hammy. <laughs> Funny. Buck, thank you so much for for coming to chat to me on Yowie Central. I, I really appreciate it. It's so lovely to talk to you. Uh, lovely to talk to you, Sarah. And thank you again for all the work you're doing with AYR and just helping us get, you know, more reports over the line so I can do more drawings. Uh, I think there'll be another one up soon. And, yeah, I'll see you sometime in the bush. Buck Buckingham from Australian Yowie Research. And that's all we've got time for this week, folks. Yowie Central will be back next week, same time, same place, on 94.9 Main FM, taking you out with Parry Grip. I'll catch you next week. Out in the cold, out in the dark Something's lurking at the edge of the park People be warned, people beware There's a storm on the rise and it's covered in hair Hear him cry, hear him howl Looking for someone to disembowel Claws like a hook, eyes like coal Feet so big they're gonna crush your soul They call him Sasquatch March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. 
So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.